the house. Let me hear your bark. Let me see you bite. Let me see your scar. You know what we about. Come see us in the yard. Hello and welcome to the third or fourth most mediocre Husky football podcast on the entire internet. All we hear is purple. I'm Andrew Berg. Remember to subscribe, rate, and review the podcast on Apple or Stitcher or whatever. With me tonight, now in possession of a functional computer, it's Gaby Lucas. Gaby, what does it feel like to have a computer that runs somewhat predictably and without a really loud buzzing at all times? It is amazing. I was setting this up. Well, taking a virtual tour of New York's gay bars that are gone. Uh, and it was just like, oh, you you start up and you exist and you don't shut down randomly because you want to. And you're not like 100 decibels all the time. I don't actually know if 100 is a lot of decibels because I'm not a Boeing engineer. I assume it is. And that's how loud my old computer was at all times. So, I think it is. I was doing some research on electric lawnmowers this weekend, and I seem to remember two-digit decibels being a me- medium decibel level. So 100, it would stand to reason, would be high. I mean, it, naturally, that's that's what what we're here to discuss. Yeah. Actually, what we're here to discuss, believe it or not, is there was a football game, and we got to watch it, and the Huskies played, and they played against themselves. It was a spring scrimmage, but it was still a football game. So let's talk about just a few of the themes that came away from that game. Maybe the most important one being who will be our quarterback in the fall. I think we've talked about this a lot and kind of circled the drain on this idea that, well, it's going to be Dylan Morris. Like we can keep talking about it and trying to make it an interesting story because, you know, like there are people employed to write about 10 college football games for 52 weeks a year. But the reality (laughs) is he's probably going to keep the job. Did anything from this game change your mind about that or were you surprised at anything you saw from the I guess four quarterbacks that we saw play uh no (laughs) Um, next topic yeah yeah and moving on no um I definitely thought as as the practice reports were coming out um I I it was very much it was really intriguing to me about Patrick O'Brien like you certainly seem to be getting you know taking up some just just improving his way and making it like a genuine battle. Um, and, and granted, for what it's worth, you know, we probably saw less of a sample size of him because Sam Hewer did play a decent amount on his own, on, on you know, they shared the team. Um, so it could have just been a small sample size where he didn't look good or didn't look bad, but didn't look great. Um, but he definitely did feel kind of to me like the version of the mid-high four-star that you often see that often doesn't pan out, which is like great arm, huge, gigantic human being. Um, but there, and, and for, I will give him credit like that. Coincidentally, it ended up as an interception by Elijah Jackson, but that pass that he threw that was intercepted. You could see that he definitely has a de- uh, an extra gear that neither Dylan Morris nor at this moment, Sam Heward have as far as how the ball comes out of his hand. Like it is, more effortless um and i think he also seemed a little bit more mobile than uh you would expect of someone of his size but um 
from that small sample size, I was not super impressed. I didn't think he looked terrible, but I definitely thought from what we saw that I would put my trust in Dylan Morris as far as that kind of X factor of when shit gets tough. Uh, trusting him and he's you know more mobile and blah 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 you know I don't need to rehash it so yeah with regard to O'Brien I think the the thing I came into the game thinking was that if he's going to unseat Morris part of it, part of it will be that he's more mature that he's more experienced and that will translate into being more comfortable and uh, having more control over the offense, even if he's less familiar with this particular playbook. But things like decision-making, um, acting quickly, not making mistakes, making the right read. And I actually thought it was the other way around, that Morris was totally, stronger yeah. in those areas. And and Morris noticeably better than he was in the limited number of games we saw last fall in those areas, too. He looked much more decisive to me. It took him less time to get through his progressions, pulled the trigger faster when he found the guy he wanted to throw to, which is really encouraging. Yeah, Not every yeah. quarterback grows mentally uh, at all. I mean, yeah, some guys are just a finished product. Like, I, I don't think Jake Locker, as talented as he was, much more physically talented than uh, Dylan Morris. I don't think he ever really took the next step in terms of feeling comfortable in the offense. Like, he had control over it. And Morris is at least, like, gaining mastery of that, which is great. Totally, makes, yeah. Makes you feel really good about him. If there's anything else surprising, it was just how much Sam Heward we saw. Uh, I kind of thought he would be a little bit more of an afterthought if this is really a two-horse race. I thought he would look good. I, yeah, there were little hiccups. He's super inexperienced playing in a more pro-style offense. I thought the the couple deep balls he threw uh, on the sideline, uh, I believe both to Bynum um, were uh, just beautiful. Or no, were those yeah. the two to Adunze? I, I, I think, I think I one was McMillan. There was that one to buy yeah, him. That, the, the yeah, that was beautiful. I was beautiful. thinking of two other ones, but that was also, it was it's just sexy feathery. as hell. We haven't seen a feathery deep ball in ages. I mean, there's like the two varieties we've seen <laughs> have been the, uh, you know, the way overthrown. And then the, I don't know where it's going. Yeah. Uh, but like one that just looked precise and gentle is a, mm -hmm. a very different thing. So something to look forward to, even if it's not probably in the immediate. Yeah, yeah. I definitely my my thoughts on Dil or Dylan Moore's on Sam Heward can be summed up with like he looked like a freshman, but he looked like a really good freshman. Like he looked like like I'm not gonna be one of those people that's like oh my god Sam Heward kicks ass he should start right now. But I am very. I definitely got very excited about the future just just watching him and it's like if this is sam heward after two months then him fully being immersed in that offense and and being able to just not think and just react um it it bodes well yep agreed on all accounts so it seems like not a lot of breath holding with regard to the quarterback battle unless something really unexpected happens you slide over a couple feet lot less known about who's going to get the bulk of the running back carries. We saw pretty much every running back on the roster a little bit, but by virtue of the depth, we didn't see any of them a whole lot. Uh, pretty much everybody made some nice plays. I think um, JV on Sundays just bowling over people late in the game <laughs> on that big, what basically became the game winning drive was the thing that kind of stuck in my mind more than what we saw from any of the other running backs. But what struck you about the uh, running back performances across the board? 
I think any a combination of McGrew, Newton, and Davis will make me happy, kind of as long as it's decently balanced, you know. Um, I thought what we saw, this is kind of just rehashing or agreeing with, I think it was Mike Varell, what he said in his column after the spring game. Um, Newton looked good in a way where after it was kind of a little bit ambiguous where he stood in the program, you know, the last six months kind of, it it was nice to see him really look good. Like that, that one touchdown looked like what we knew we can see from him. Um, And it's just a very comprehensive skill set. When you look at the three of them, I think Cam Davis, this isn't saying anything uh, revolutionary. I think he's the most well-rounded um, and, and for what, for what it's worth, I mean, uh, Kamari Pleasant, it was nice seeing him get that touchdown, but I think it's, it's kind of saying the obvious or saying stuff that we don't really need to discuss that much that he clearly is. If you're looking at the running back room, he isn't, he's a step below those three guys, um, just as far as talent level, um, or as far as bringing a, you know, one specific trait to the table. Um, I also thought it was just fun seeing JV on Sunday because I know that people got hung up on his high school film because he runs really weird. <laughs> like He runs so weird, but uh, he's so jacked. <laughs> and for that reason alone... And his high school film was so fun because it was just watching him bowl people over. And I think there was uh, some level of that on, on Saturday. I mean, you could definitely see the practice reports, um, you know, in the 14 uh, practices previous. Uh, whenever JV on Sunday was mentioned, it seemed to be like, and he made contact that maybe the coaches didn't want again. Um, you can definitely see why. I think he's regardless of how much of a role he has over the next three, four years, which I hope is a lot um, as it, as time goes by um, that he, he's just a very fun will be in. He'll, he will be a very fun person to watch um, whether or not he's like the number one guy. Uh, Yeah. Man, he's jacked. (laughs) He's so loaded. (laughs) Yeah. He gets, he like injures people by getting tackled. It's like yeah, he doesn't even yeah. have to hit them. They just get hurt by running into him. Yeah. He's, he's impressive. I don't think he's the best running back. He should not be probably, like you said, in the top two or three. In yeah, right now, definitely. Year, but he's super fun. And I like I he's kind of my uh, dark horse guy that I'm very excited to see anytime he gets on the field. It was yeah. just a crazy uh, game for him. Uh, so the the final score of the game was 22-13. So we can talk about, you know, pleasant surprises at quarterback, different running backs showing up. But ultimately, the defense still mostly controlled the game, as you would expect from this roster and this team over the last few years. Uh, was there any player or scheme or stretch defensively that really jumped off the screen to you that you saw? Um, I don't think there. I mean, it's kind of hard to evaluate because the other than the lines stuff was so mixed up because they had that kind of fun thing where Kate Otten and Jackson Kirkland drafted their teams. So it was kind of hard to evaluate just on that basis alone. Um, although what I will say is the, the going back to that Elijah Jackson interception, which first off, it feels weird 
saying the name Elijah and then saying Jackson after mm-hmm. the end of it, yep. especially after Molden was was drafted um, last weekend. But uh, that made me excited for the new generation of defensive backs, just kind of as a whole. Um, both a seeing, you know, I use that that instance as a um, as a as a means to kind of criticize, not criticize, but uh, for lack of better words, we'll go with criticize Patrick O'Brien um, for throwing that. But you could definitely tell that it was like this deliberate move by Jackson to bait him into throwing that and then move into position and uh, coupling that with Jimmy Lake's comments about him being a, like a a Sidney Jones in the making is kind of um, beautiful. (laughs) If you're a a dog fan, Um, but it kind of made me think I, I, I sketched out a couple possible scenarios for like one or two years down the line. What does the secondary look like? And between Moves like that and looking at Trent McDuffie and Ky- Trent McDuffie will probably be drafted next year. He'll probably come out early. Kyler Gordon definitely has the potential as far as just insanity physical traits. If he gets the technical um, stuff down, which he might have done based on what we're hearing this spring, he could declare early too and be a pretty high draft pick. Um, and then the safety competition I just think there's a lot of really interesting and exciting question marks in the secondary. And I think usually when you talk about question marks, it's by necessity of like, oh, this position is vacant. Ergo, let's talk about who's going to fill it. But I think there's a lot of kind of it's not vacant, but people are forcing you to discuss about this. Discuss, excuse me, (laughs) discuss this scenario, whether it's in safety or a year or two from now at the, at the outside corners. Um, so that's an, that's immediately where my, where my brain goes. And I, for one, am excited about it. Yeah. It's a great, great problem to have in the secondary. It's, you know, we're not Alabama or LSU or uh, Clemson, but those are the schools. Well, they, they do this at <laughs> like, you know, 80% of their positions yeah, where yeah. it's like, well, I can't wait for this draft pick NFL, you know, first, second round draft pick or whatever to, to graduate so we can see the guy behind him come onto the field yeah exactly uh, but our secondary is kind of like that it's like you you recruit a guy and you're super excited about him and then you don't really think about him for two years because it, like he's back in the lab like tuning up his yeah. technique and, and getting into optimal shape because there is an all-conference or all-american playing in front of him and when you can do that I mean, that's that's the hope for a, a college program is that you can build positional depth like that. And we've had it rolling for, you know, six or seven years and it's awesome. And it seems like, yeah. you know, like I, I, I don't know if there may have been some thought that it was going to taper off a little bit if Jimmy Lake wasn't the position coach or maybe there's like a year where the recruiting didn't look as stellar. And I guess the safety play wasn't up to standard last year, but overall uh, it's still looking pretty great. Uh, yeah. Were there any players in the game who kind of jumped out at you unexpectedly, like somebody, I mean, I I guess you could put Jackson in this category, but was there anybody else who you just hadn't thought about in a while who, who kind of came out and and played a lot better than you would have expected based on either your own preconceptions or just what you were seeing in reports from spring practices? Um, I don't think there was any one, like, I don't, yeah, I think it's hard to point it at any one dude. Um, that being said, I, and this is a kind of a cliche from the last month or so 
Um, you know, Braylon Trice was really interesting. Um, I, I thought, I also thought it was interesting, and this isn't really answering your question, but that answer just made me think about it. Um, it seemed like, and I'd have to go back and rewatch it, rewatch this to confirm, but it felt like they were doing a lot of kind of three-step drops, um, which were lend itself to say some of the outside linebackers and edge rushers in general um having a fun time and and it made sense like situationally why they were doing that um unless i'm wrong (laughs) but uh um i i think i'm i have to go back again to besides the kind of backup edge guys um and Cam Davis, again, because he's always fun when he touches the ball. And I, I really do hope that he gets a lot more um, within the within the rotation, you know, next season. I, I, I do have to go back to the to the secondaries, though, like this, the twos. Um, I just think that's a really interesting scenario. And, and for what it's worth, I think the receivers and um, the or just, I should I shouldn't say receivers, but just pass catchers in general, including tight ends. Um, so, which included Culp a little bit. I don't remember exactly if Moore did Moore get a did Quentin Moore get any receptions? I don't think he ended up this? getting a catch, but he definitely he like jumped out as being open a couple times where they couldn't for, get him for the ball sure. for whatever reason, or somebody else got the pass. But yeah, he stood out a bit. Yeah, and I think that made me happy between spring practice and the spring game. You know, obviously it was like very clear that Kate when Dylan Morris anyway was quarterbacking it that like Kate Otten is his boy. Um, I mean, he was just, he's just always there and is awesome. Um, but it was nice seeing between Rome, um, and, and Terrell Bynum wasn't like super productive, but he was kind of just always around and Taj Davis and Jalen McMillan had some good catches and some kind of where you're like, Oh, where are you (laughs) between, between those guys being like reliable ish anyway and then Kate Otten and the rest of the tight ends of like Devin Culp and then throughout the spring um Quentin Moore and and uh Mark Redman I think that's really interesting which is it's a it's a privileged position to be in considering how many freaking receiver transfers we had uh in the last two months um so I'm happy that after the last 15 spring practices we're not just feeling totally despondent about the uh pass catchers or at least i'm i'm not <laughs> i can't no, speak that's, that's a you. very good point i i like you mentioned culp culp was surprising to me i i you yeah know, he, he I, I don't know it's gonna take a long time for me to to think of him as anything but the that fourth down drop against yeah, like a wing t uh oh yeah or that that's it's just it's, i he's done a lot more than that even in real games, it just that's burned it in my mind for reasons that probably pretty easy to understand. Um, I, I thought it was funny. I, I don't know how many catches he ended up with, but there's just how many times uh, Nick Duran ended up catching the ball. I, I know it was just like cycling in different players, but this like walk tiny on walk on from, <laughs> yeah. uh, I guess he's not tiny. He's like six feet tall, but yeah, yeah I think it's he has like NHL player size. Yeah. Right. Uh, he looked small compared to the guys around him, but he, he was in the game a lot. I guess that's part of our what you mentioned about the receiver depth, but I thought it was kind of funny. Um, I guess the other side of that is there's only so many opportunities to go around. Um, and if we're praising three or four tight ends, 
maybe the other ones aren't going to get as many opportunities. I, I would have guessed that uh, Mark Redman would have been higher on the pecking order than uh, Culp. I, I don't, I'm kind of agnostic about it. Like if Culp is great this year and Redmond has to wait because Culp played awesome, that still means that we got an awesome number two tight end. Yeah. So totally. that, that works for me, but I, I was a little surprised we didn't see more uh, Mark Redmond. Um, anybody else that, that like didn't show up that you were a little bit surprised by other than poor Corey Luciano snapping. The ball <laughs> oh man. The third row. That was, that was pretty trash. I, I, I do have to, give a shout out to Mateo Mele only just only through default because this spring game and again this could just be a small sample size similar to Patrick O'Brien being like pretty mediocre um I <laughs> the small sample size of watching Corey Luciano play center in that game made me be like yeah okay let's have Mateo Mele be our like definitive sixth offensive lineman um but as far as people who didn't show up I mean uh, I think Pat, I, I kind of have to think about Patrick O'Brien again, it, uh, along with Mark Mark Redman. Although I feel similarly to you about Mark Redman, where it's like he's only going to be a redshirt freshman. So, and we have a deep tight end room. So if Devin Culp, who is physically, uh, you know, a specimen, if he takes that next step, and if Quentin Moore, who's a Juga guy, like if they're above him, and deservedly so, who cares? Like it, it doesn't really matter why the people who kick ass kick ass if they kick ass um please put that on my tombstone but um (laughs) i think you're run up a huge engraving tab it's like a the the really crappy um dr seuss i was in a graveyard this week though uh while we're on the subject yeah while we're on the subject that was actually one of the banned dr seuss books it's like if i ran the cemetery (laughs) if i have I had a gravestone? Um, what were we? Oh, right. Um, I think, I, I think, uh, I, I think it comes back to Patrick O'Brien, and I say everything I say about him is uh, with the asterisk of like this was a really small sample size, so I could be full of shit because sample sizes are the very important thing, but he. I, I, I totally, I take it as valid that he was challenging Dylan Morris this spring, but I thought that Dylan Morris looked like clearly the better quarterback. I thought he, he looked more comfortable. He looked more mobile. And again, people like to be like, people, I feel like people like to look at his size um, and the fact that he doesn't naturally have a cannon of an arm to be like, oh, he has bad arm strength, but he doesn't have bad arm strength. He has, I would guess, I would not guess, I would say slightly, I would say slightly above average arm strength. When you look at plenty of guys that are bigger than him who throw wobbly, not super great passes mid-length, it's just his deep ball needs to have a slightly greater arc, and that's a super fixable thing with four games under his belt last year. Like that's such a fixable thing. So I don't really, I understand why people get hung up on deep ball, the deep ball, because it's a very visible aspect in playing quarterback. But I think if he had been playing two years for UW and had never completed a deep ball, then like, sure, get hung up on it. But um, I was, 
I, I think Dylan Morris looked like clearly the better quarterback of the two. And I could be proven wrong in fall. Who knows? But O'Brien looked kind of like one of those relatively highly touted, very prototypical quarterbacks, huge arm, gigantic person who just can't look, doesn't look comfortable in the pocket or, or I, I should take that back. He didn't look uncomfortable in the pocket. He looked uncomfortable running the offense and he was to his credit more. He looked more mobile than uh, I would have assumed for someone of his stature. Um, But I was a little bit surprised that, I came away from the spring game to think having such a clear conclusion to be taken as far as the quarterbacks were concerned. Yeah. I, like we said earlier, he did nothing to uh, force us to reevaluate our presumptions or our prejudices that we came into the game with. And that's fine. I mean, if he's just here to make it easier to preserve Sam Heward's depth or red shirt on the depth chart, uh, that, you know, it's a free swing, mm-hmm. it's a grad transfer. It's not like that scholarship was going to be uh, used on a, another five-star freshman coming in or anything. So it's it's good depth to have around. Uh, so let's, let's cut off our spring game chit-chat at that point. We're going to take a quick break. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit on the other side about the NFL draft, where the Huskies went, and a little bit about where we stand in recruiting, which isn't very far. So uh, that will be a quick conversation, but stick around and we'll be right back to talk about those things. And welcome back. We are going to talk as previously promised about the national football league draft. Uh, The first thing we're going to touch on is Joe Tryon going in the first round. Uh, it was This is a very unrelatable experience, but I was doing our uh, blog updates for night one, and so I was counting down anxiously towards the end. I was like, is anybody from UW actually going to get picked before the end of this night, or am I going to have to just fill a bunch of space on this blog to make it look like a legitimate post um, about nothing involving anyone from UW? And fortunately, Joe Tryon went with a 30-second pick to the Bucks. So he gets to go play with Vita Vea and Tom Brady to a lesser extent. Uh, what was your thought about somebody sneaking in at the back end of the first round from UW? Um, I thought it was... Okay, first off, if we're talking from a UW perspective, awesome. Because being able to say you're a first-round draft pick kicks ass. And as far as advertising, do recruits... That is awesome, especially given the fact that he was, what, like the 773rd overall recruit in 2017. He was like a .86, maybe, uh, uh, 24-7 score. From a my personal life point of view, not great, because I was mourning the disappearance of my cat. And so I was like, ah, fuck, I have to go tweet out some bullshit. (laughs) This blows chunks. But I assume that's not what you were asking. So it's. Well, I mean, I did give my my personal story about what I was doing while he got picked. I can't begrudge you for doing the same thing. Yeah, you were right. It was a 0.85 draft rating, national Mm -hmm. 773, and it was even lower with the 24 7 rating. It was 84th or 84 rating. 52nd yeah. strong side defensive end. That is pretty crazy to think about. He was the 52nd best strong side defensive end in his high school class and the 32nd best player overall in his uh, college uh, draftable class. Yeah, it, it kind of goes 
Oh, sorry, go on. It has a lot to do with, you know, yeah. the physical development, also a lot to do with like, what NFL teams are looking for, and edge rushers are clearly at a premium. For sure. And uh, it, it kind of it kind of goes back to that discussion that I was like, you, me, and a few other of our writers had uh, a few months ago about, like, when you're looking at, first off, rating rankings matter when it comes to recruiting. Um, they matter, period, on a macro scale. But what, it feels like ratings are inconsistent as far as when you're looking at NFL projection or are you looking at college projection or are you looking at how ready you are now? So if you were rating Joe Tryon from like an NFL projection standpoint out of college, it would be high four star at least. But just as because his rating was based on what level he was at then. And this was we were talking about receivers at the time with Jalen McMillan and Roma Dunze. But um it definitely is like I, I wish we had that level for twenty four seven ratings or whatever you you know we can come up with our own database of of NF your projection for the NFL versus your projection for college versus what you what point you are at right now like those are three very different data points and to try to unify them into one metric is a I don't envy the people that do it B I don't think that the people that do it are very consistent. Um, so I think it's a really good advertising point for UW to be like, oh, look at this guy. He was 0.85 or or 84 by 24-7. He was a, like a mid-low three-star. But then you look at his measurables and it's like, oh, uh, yeah. <laughs> like, of course, this is the guy that can project out to that, to being the 32nd pick overall. Yeah, I think there's more than one element to it. It is complicated. Totally. He's He's... In high school, he was listed at 6'5", 230. He was obviously productive in high school. He was obviously crazy athletic. But there, was a, there are, you know, not a huge number, but there are more 6'5", 230 guys than there are, than, you know, more than 32 of them every year um, or however many end up getting drafted uh, at defensive end. He had to both put on... 25, 30, 35 pounds without losing any of his athleticism or quickness mm -hmm. and develop his technique so that he could maintain his productivity against much, much better opponents. So both of those are developmental pieces that require a lot to go right in coaching and totally, the player yeah. himself. Uh, you know, and you can have great coaches and the player can still sidetrack that with, you know, lack of dedication or just, you know, some guys just won't be able to maintain their quickness as they gain weight or they just... Mm -hmm aren't going to ever have the quick twitch reactions that are necessary to get the technique right. So it's, you know, a lot that Tryon did right. It's a lot that the coaches did right. And it's a lot that just, you know, there by the, <laughs> there yeah, by the grace yeah. of God goes some <laughs> yeah. other defensive end, Joe Mathis totally. or somebody yeah. just didn't pan out to the same level. Um, so it's, it's a crazy confluence of things. And, you know, we're talking about him. We're not talking, talking about uh, Elijah Molden or Levi Anzarike right now, because, Tryon went 32nd and these other guys went slightly later. Uh, but, you know, if he would have gone 45th, we would have been having a very different conversation. But the same things would all be true. Like mm -hmm. he's he's Prometheus getting to the flame. Like he, that's a crazy <laughs> accomplishment. Well, let's talk a little bit about these other guys, too. Onzerike um, to Detroit. They drafted uh, a couple Pac-12 guys, Penai Sewell in the first round and uh, Amon Ross, St. Brown. God, yeah. that's a and Jamar Jefferson. In Andrew Mark Jefferson. But think yeah. about that. Those are maybe the three most difficult names in the entire Pac-12 <laughs> to say and pronounce. Pinay Sewell. Sewell. Uh, Penne. Amon Ray. Penne. See? 
I've been saying it Penne and Amon Ra. That might just be for okay. my D&D Am- campaign or my Amon old roommate. Ra, Amon Ra. Ra. Whatever. And Levi Enrique. Not that hard to say. Exceptionally hard to spell. Uh, I wrote the draft preview of his name and I just uh, (laughs) typed it once and and then just copy and pasted it every time the rest of the article. Um, That seems like a great opportunity for him, though. I mean, Detroit has had a bunch of UW players come through the last couple of years. Most of them not not there anymore, but definitely give us something to watch there. It seems like he's going to be, you know, maybe not the highest upside. He's probably not going to be Aaron Donald, but he probably has a very high floor and will start in the NFL for a long time if he stays healthy. Yeah, I think you should be pretty consistent. I um, answered, like, I talked to Pride of Detroit, which is SB Nation's uh, Lions blog. I talked to them about him. And it's pretty much a matter to me of where if you, regardless of what happens, like, he should be a pretty solid contributor, contributor, pretty quickly. But whether he can be even more than that is just up to whether or not they can develop his second and third moves. Because he, I mean, he... You know, we all know what we're looking at. I don't think I need to go that in depth into Levi and Zarike, but um, I don't. I'll, I'll. I will be watching that team pretty with a with with a, a decent amount of interest, um, partially because I uh, kind of like Detroit as a city. Um, maybe because that's just aspirational, and I feel like I could one day afford a house there, unlike here. (laughs) (laughs) Pity. Yeah. I I like Detroit. uh, Yeah. And, uh, and, and, yeah, I don't know. Um, So I think think he'll be a fun prospect to watch, though. So. Any thoughts on uh, Elijah Molden going to Tennessee or Keith Taylor going to Carolina? It seems like, you know, certainly there were a lot of Huskies going to teams in the West Coast. It seems like the last few years, definitely the Cardinals and 49ers were just like packed with Huskies. This time they all went as far away as possible. Um, Very, very far from home. But um, yeah, either of those two stand out. I mean, it seemed like in the, the lead up, a little bit of the bloom came off Taylor because he he didn't have any interceptions. And it's something that teams supposedly want from their cornerbacks. Uh, but it seems like they'll both have a pretty decent chance to play early on. And uh, you should be able to see Elijah Molden. If you catch a little bit of Titans on the red zone. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think Elijah Molden's so interesting because he feels to me kind of like the anti Joe Tryon, as far as just having the absolute, by no fault of his own, the worst physical uh, projection. But I think when you're looking at guys who are nickels and safeties, uh, that that's kind of a thing where if unless to an extent, especially if you're an inside guy in the secondary, like you are what you are, you can kind of make up for that and just do what you do. <laughs> And, like, I can see if he was primarily an outside corner, I could see him falling that far, it, like, with reason, or justifiably so. But I I, I wrote the, the tweet for, uh, for our account on this. I'm sure anyone listening to this who knows the tweet I'm about to say, this will come as no surprise to them. That was just my favorite part of this draft is that Elijah Moulton's going to just make a bunch of people look, or GMs look, really forking stupid from letting him fall because like I get that if you're a GM at a certain point you kind of you can't overlook the physical attributes of who you're drafting but like 
like game game tape is game tape and skill is skill and especially when when you're playing the position that he's playing like people he slid down the board because he's too small and he's not a blazer and also for what it's worth he ran the 40 with a pulled hamstring or I think it was pulled hamstring so he looked even slower than he is but like you're not drafting him to play outside corner who gives a shit <laughs> that's like that's like like having I don't know like having a quarterback fall because they can't rush the rush the passer like that's not what his job is so I think he'll you know whether he's an all pro or whatever I'm not gonna make a prediction on that because that's a huge ordeal but I think I think he'll be in the league for quite a while and I'm not just saying that because his mom follows us on Twitter and <laughs> but hi oh, hi mama yeah. Molden yeah. <laughs> if you're listening to this yeah I think you're right I, it reminded me of there was an old Bill James axiom uh the old baseball writer from the 70s and 80s and now as well um kind of an early adopter uh godfather of more advanced analytics talked about this applies to baseball certainly applies to football as well like you can either focus on what somebody does well or you can uh highlight the things they do poorly and if you get fixated on the things that molden can't do and try to play him on the outside and match him up with really big receivers he's going to look awful uh if you allow him to do the things he's really good at he's probably going to continue to be really good at those things uh, regardless of the level he's playing at. So I, I think that's a, a pretty good summary. Let's look uh, you know, a little bit pulling back. I, I, you know, we talked about these four guys. They're all defenders. Does it matter uh, optically, uh, practically in any way that we didn't have any offensive players drafted? Do, do you care about that? Did it even cross your mind at any point? Um, so I think, I think there's two questions there to answer. And one of them is from a, from a program standpoint, doesn't matter that they had no offensive players drafted. Uh, and then from the other is from a recruiting standpoint. And I think there is, you want to milk, you want to, if you're a recruiter, you need to milk what you can from, uh, from the draft every year period. I think though that the two, the last two drafts for the, for UW, there's just been a small player pool to take from. So it's not like they had a bunch of eligible offensive players that were entering the draft and then the NFL said, ha fuck you. It's that they literally had no one, <laughs> right? Yeah, they had no one. And so like naturally, yeah. of course, then no one's gonna um, be picked. So I think if, if, you're a um you know if you're the coaching staff you have to minimize that in the ways you can by looking at by a promoting the hell out of the um the the defensive players that have been picked and what their recruiting ranking was prior um but i think the other thing is that you really have to next year and the year after that when we do have more offensive players that will be drafted uh you have to you ha I think the rule generally and this is something we can take out of this draft and apply to everything is when you have something that can be advertised and promoted you have to go for it um so the last two years just based on our player pool and who's been eligible or not eligible but who's been declared like yeah there's not that much to advertise but that means that there will be another wave coming up and like we've discussed this with our writers 
um, that next year, you know, you can expect Jackson Kirkland, you can expect Kate Otten, um, who else, you know, maybe Terrell Bynum. Defensively, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But if we're, um, yeah, on offense alone, if we're looking at offense, you know, yeah. Bynum might be a late round, uh, who, who knows? Wattenberg, um, possibly. Yeah, yeah, Wattenberg, like a late round, his versatility, you know, might boost him up a little bit, um, but... I think you it's just a really good reminder that you you have to on the advertising standpoint which advertising matters because it matters to recruits and recruiting matters to on field that you really have to take what you can get when you get it and just blow that up um yeah i think that we've we've heard people say a lot that we have kind of like fallen behind oregon in the self-promotion race which in a way i feel really good about but i think you're right that it does have (laughs) long-term effects yeah Uh, it's like, well, yeah, you're not doing it for me. You're doing it for the 15-year-old. Okay, fair enough. Like, yeah, I don't have to which is to totally reasonable. 16-year-olds um, are stupid, but they're the ones that you need to kick ass. So it doesn't uh, matter if they're exactly. wrong or right. You know? uh, exactly. I, I did see Jimmy Lake was on um, NFL Network today. I saw on Twitter they, they posted his clip talking to somebody about – uh, the guys that they had drafted. So that kind of little stuff, they had some really cool yeah. graphic edits of the the players uh, like morphing from their UW uniforms into their NFL uniforms. So cool. Yeah. Like you said, take where you can get it and we'll uh, do the same thing for Kate Otten and Jackson Kirkland next year. Uh, while we're talking about who comes next, let's briefly touch on where we stand in recruiting and what we should expect to happen next. Uh, we haven't really had a chance to talk for a long time. So to recap, we have two recruits. Um, we have uh, <laughs> Jeremy Bernard uh, and Chance Brogan. And those are the two guys, a receiver and a tight end, who are in the boat for next year. Uh, it seems like, the, you know, that's not really reason to panic because the um, coaches have allegedly been slow playing this recruiting class on purpose until they could start having in-person visits again. Um it sounds like those are going to be starting again in early June. So things may pick up very quickly. Um, what do you feel about where we stand right now? Like the, the lack of a big recruiting class that, you know, it seems like every year we have this conversation, maybe this year's a little more stark, but there are probably reasons for it, but we're kind of a, a slow starting recruiting uh, program. I guess if you wanted to, to be negative, you could focus on the fact that last year it started slow and never totally picked up, but it was a smaller class. So that there was some, that was some inevitability to that. Do you think we're going to see more of that this year or is it going to kind of gain momentum as we go along? Yeah. Yeah. I kind of feel almost like I don't feel backwards to what you just said, but I think there's something about like last year was the class that was going to be kind of bleak and based on our recruiting strategy under Pete that presumably will be maintained under uh, Jimmy, Jimmy Lake, um, you know, it made sense that like last year would kind of be not a huge reason for uh, enthusiasm. I think, I think post June 1st, I will be paying a lot more attention or not be paying a lot more attention, but have a lot more scrutiny uh, on the recruiting this year. Um, just because, and then, and then for what it's worth next cycle is when I will be fully applying the same standards that I have in the past or, you know, I don't want to, I don't want to, I feel like I just jinxed COVID and we're going to have like a terrible mutant that comes back and kills us all because I just said that. Um, but 
and I don't mean I don't say any of that to like excuse like oh we had COVID so you know we should have been mediocre while everyone else adapted or whatever like you know that's not at all what I'm saying but um I'm not I I think with the 2022 class I think it'll be a lot more interesting in some ways than 2021 simply because if you know with with vaccines and with stuff hopefully getting a little bit better um knock on wood uh and the ncaa opening things up for the first time in over a year that there is more opportunity for uw to do what uw does really well on the recruiting trail and that's not an excuse for not adapting to circumstances but you i don't think you can ignore the natural um inclinations and tendencies and just throw that totally out the window so i don't know i think 2022 will be interesting between um between that factor and the fact that it's a pretty interesting in class or in-state class excuse me yeah i think i agree with all of that i think there's i i'm i'm kind of a, a let's wait and see kind of person anyway but i i don't want to downplay the idea that th- there is kind of a, a crucial moment where lake needs to either be you know, prove himself as a guy who can continue Washington being at the level it was at under Chris Peterson, which was, you know, if you took somehow the aggregate performance of all top programs in the last 2015 to 2019, probably something like the 12th best team in the country or ninth or 15th or something in that area. Uh, And to to keep that up, they are going to have to at least recruit at consistently a top 20 level. Um, I think that's possible, but he has to actually do it. So, you know, this year we've got uh, the offensive line in state is loaded and they need to come away with a good group from there. Um, Josh Connerly, Malik Egbo, David Uli, Vega Aoni, Mark Nabu, uh, all in state offensive linemen, all highly rated. If we get, you know, a good assortment of that, that's a terrific foundation for the class kind of sets up the team to maintain uh, you know, the ability to run the ball, if that's the goal, build this offensive line that can do that. Um, so, I, you know, I think I agree with what you're saying, but it is really, really early to make any conclusions about this year's recruiting, um, especially since it seems like it was a deliberate choice to kind of uh, slow play it a little bit until we get to the point of um, being able to do in-person visits. The one guy I think is worth highlighting uh, is Hiro Kanu, uh, the the uh, German player who's moved to California. We were his first scholarship offer, but he seems like an extremely interesting story. Um, have you been exchanging German uh, Twitter messages with him uh, to ensure his commitment in the near future? Oh, I wish. I for what it's worth. <laughs> so there's a uh, uh, we have a um, German a German 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 UW fan from who who I'll 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 t- tweet at in German every once in a while um named Philip hi Philip if you're listening um and, and so he's gotten us in the you know in the bag with another German defensive end slash offensive lineman from the class of 2023 who doesn't have a UW offer um and it's I think I personally just from my, my own personal life standpoint find it very entertaining to quote unquote help UW's uh German recruiting efforts you know the hotbed um I haven't, for what it's worth, tweeted in German at Hiro Kanu 
which, granted, might be a mistake on my part. Maybe I should. I personally try not to tweet at recruits because I think I'm better than that. Am I really? <laughs> Who knows? I think um, it's different if you're tweeting at them in their native language. I, I feel like that's – I agree with you. If their native language isn't English and you're, like, just bantering, like, what? it's just bants. Like, <laughs> I don't know. Especially when Maurice Himes is, like, his buddy – from and for what I, I for what it's worth, I, Maurice Himes is from Hamburg, which is uh, the place in Germany I've spent most of my time, and is very very much it's if Seattle had a German place, it would be Hamburg. Uh, Hirokanu, I think, is from I don't remember, but he's not from up there. I think he's from like either Nordrhein-Westfalia or northern Bavaria, maybe I don't remember, but he's not from Hamburg, so we don't have that going for us. And I remember in Maurice Himes. Uh, commitment thing where he was talking about like yeah I, I, Seattle and Hamburg are kind of similar and it's like yeah bro they really are um, so I digress though um, no but I, I man I think I, I Hirokanu is kind of interesting because usually when you know uh, players from abroad minus the occasional Canadian like Chase Claypool um, usually they kind of slip under the radar and you can just kind of get them by noticing them. Um, Hirokanu, obviously, is a total different... He's not that at all. He has offers from Clemson and I think LSU, maybe Alabama. He USC. Um, he's kind of exploded. Uh, I, okay, I want to ask you, though. Do you think, as, as a German speaker, do you think it's okay for me to tweet at Cruz if they're German... And I also speak their language and, like, can band with them. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah? Okay. I'm still trying to find where he's from in Germany, and there are about a dozen articles that just say he's from Germany. Um, Such bullshit. That's a whole country. It's a very large country. This is a pretty Uh, large place. If anybody has – I mean, certainly uh, I wouldn't second-guess your – German tweeting creativity, but if anybody has suggestions about things that we should be tweeting him in German, um, feel free to send them to us and we'll review them uh, next week if we get any good ideas and definitely send them in German. Um, but this isn't going to be like a, you know, getting a like campaign, the German, uh, the, the Chinese symbol for prosperity. And it actually says like rat sex or whatever, because we don't know what it is. <laughs> California role. Speech, speak, yeah. Yeah, speak German. No, yeah, yeah. I'm good. That was my major in college because I found out uh, like two days before I had to sign up before it was like two days before I had to uh, register, like sign up for classes. I found out that I was academically a year above because of high school AP classes. So they were like, you have to declare a major to (laughs) sign up for classes. And I was like, I guess I'm a German major now. Anyways. (laughs) And if I can't put that to good use by recruiting yeah, right. Uh, defensive I mean, tackles. Yeah. From... I mean, you probably get more chances to use that than I use my philosophy degree. I promise you that. Yeah, probably. I probably do. Um, yeah. So let's, <laughs> I think we've, we've exhausted the <laughs> German recruiting topic. Uh, let's wrap it up with our uh, recommendations and plugs section. Uh, do you have a most entertaining non-football thing of the last week? Um. S- so, um, the answer should be no. The thing is that it turns out if you are super sad all the time, 
uh, I don't know. I can't speak for everyone, but I, I have my bandwidth has decreased so much that the only thing I can watch at, at, at all, period, uh, and get like any serotonin out of is KCTS Create Public Television. Amazing, amazing channel. Uh, and Rick Steves is the UW goat. Uh, wonderful. I don't know if he's a wonderful person, but I choose to believe he is. Uh, so, so my plug is just public TV. Period. Like as a concept, but then also, um, I I think I'm gonna have to go with another album. As far as like, okay, say you're vaccinated. You have like ten friends who are vaccinated. You are roaring for a good time. Get a bunch of tequila or whatever, and then put on on it on the biggest screen you can or projection. Uh, the Talking Heads stop making sense concert movie, freaking legendary killer. Just I know I I shouldn't like promote what what I was gonna say I shouldn't promote alcoholism. This isn't alcoholism. This is you've been in a pandemic for fourteen months and you want to go for it. Blast. The talking heads stop making sense, wear an oversized suit, dance with a lamp, and take shots directly from the bottle of Smirnoff or whatever the shit. Who cares? I've sworn a lot today. Who? I don't care. And so just have a good vaccinated time with David Byrne, who is a national treasure and a delightful musician. It's try to keep up while he runs around during uh, life during wartime. You can't do it. It can't be done. But try to do it. Uh, film it. Film you trying to keep up with him running <laughs> around the stage during life during wartime. Um, send it to me. I will rank it uh, from A to F. And then I will, I don't know, publish that. Keep it for my own entertainment. Who knows? But, that's uh, a great, that's, great that's my very that's bleak a, plug. I, no, that's not bleak. I love. Is it not? Cool. Awesome. Heads. I don't know. David Byrne, you're right. He is a global Kick icon ass. and a natural treasure. He is tremendous. Um, awesome. But I, I, when I was, I think I was in elementary school and I got obsessed with the, the big suits that he would wear. I never had a big yes. suit or anything like that. Incredible. But I would like, this is pre, uh, I guess you may have been in internet at that point, but definitely pre YouTube by a lot. So there was, I had to like find old like see it on VH1 or like find a video at the library or something. I thought it was so funny, but I definitely owned the album of Stop Making yeah. Sense. David uh, Bill is such a legend. Stuff. Um, my, my only suggestion, we started watching Mayor of Easttown, which I thought was going to be like um, Broadchurch. Like I was certain that this was set in England. It's not. It's set in a suburb of Philadelphia, which was just blew me away when they started talking that the show called Mayor of Easttown is not set in England, but it's the only show I've ever seen where somebody does a Philadelphia accent and like really gets it. And, is that I mean, um, Kate, Kate Winslet? Kate Winslet. Yeah. yeah. Really hell of an actress, but like, so actually trying the Philadelphia accent and doing it right. It's rare. And I commend her for it. It's very cool. It's a great, very interesting show. I've heard it's incredible. I've heard that her approach to the accent is incredible. And on that basis alone, since my aunt is a uh, accent, she like teaches dialects and accents professionally. That's her forking job, which is kick ass. I, anytime some actor is like, yeah, this is an accent that I'm doing. 
And if they nail it, I respect that so much. So, yeah. I, I lived in Philadelphia for a couple of years, and I can't. I try to explain to people what makes the accent so distinctive, and I can't really do it. Uh, like I can say "water," but it doesn't really capture the full uh, <laughs> accent of like flattening out all the vowels and making them just sound gross and guttural. But uh, <laughs> she does it. If you ever want to hear it, that's it. I, that's all I got. Any final thoughts from you, Gaby? Uh, no, absolutely zero. All right. Well, thanks for listening. We've covered it all. We've got the spring game, the draft, recruiting. Someday we'll have a real actual competitive football game to talk about, but it's going to be a long time. Hopefully next time uh, we record, we'll be tell- telling you some updates of a bunch of new recruits that we've signed. But in the meantime, uh, thanks for listening, and we will talk to you all soon. See you later, and remember, only tweet at your recruits if you're tweeting at them in German. Toodaloo.